Amen. Let's start in James chapter 1 tonight. James chapter 1. I want to talk to you on the subject of, uh, that I'll entitle Unwavering Faith. James, uh, in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, James identifies that he is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So we know that he's writing primarily to a Jewish crowd, Jewish Christians that have been uh, scattered throughout the geographical territory of that part of the world through persecution. And, um, uh, and he makes some assumptions. He assumes several things. He assumes, first of all, that these are people that used to be under his uh, pastorate, used to be part of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, they've, uh, because of the turmoil and the things created by some of the Roman governors that, uh, that they've chosen to move to another part of the world that's uh, more peaceful, more inviting for them uh, as Jews. But, uh, but he also makes another assumption. Let's start in verse 2. He said, my brethren, so we know he's writing to Christians. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. Now, here's the assumption that James makes. First of all, actually, there's two assumptions he makes. The first one that he makes is that whatever trouble they found themselves in is the result of them operating in faith and the devil trying to, to, to test or destroy that faith. Now, that's a big assumption. I don't think you could make that assumption in the, in the church world today, could you? Most of the people I see in the church world that are in trouble are in trouble because of a lack of wisdom. Things that they've done contrary to the Word of God and problems they've brought upon themselves, not because their faith is being tried. Wouldn't you agree? Do you understand the distinction I'm making there? It's one thing to be believing God and acting on the Word and have the devil come and try to throw roadblocks and and stir up trouble to, to get you to turn loose of the word. That's the trying of your faith. But it's another thing to operate contrary to the principles of sound wisdom that the Bible gives us and get yourself in trouble because you did, contrary, did something contrary to the word. Now, I've had enough experience with the second part of that. To know, I don't want any more of it. Either way, the answer is faith. If it's the trying of your faith, if your trouble is the trying of your faith, then the answer is to hold fast in your faith. If the, if the problem that you're in is a result of having operated contrary to the word, then the answer is to find the word on the subject and act accordingly. But notice that James understands, or uh, uh, here's the second assumption, he assumes that they know something about faith. Now, if this, this group of people that he's writing to that are scattered abroad are from his church, then he would have good reason to assume that he knows what he's taught them he knows what they've been exposed to they've been exposed to teaching on the subject of faith just like you have and so he doesn't go into all the specifics and all the details on the subject of faith he just simply assumes that they know what faith is he assumes that they know how to operate in faith as i said he's even assuming that they're operating in faith to begin with and it's their faith in god that's brought some of the trouble upon them that uh, that they're encountering but notice what he says. He says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count, count it all joy when you fall into trouble. Well, what kind of trouble? Different kinds of trouble. All kinds of trouble. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But he says patience is a necessary ingredient. And if you let patience have a perfect or complete work, 
then you shall be perfect or complete and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. In other words, whatever you're believing God for, whatever you've got your faith extended toward God to receive, will come to pass. I've told you that another, I've told you before that another translation says, the interruption of faith's victory works patience. The interruption of faith's victory works patience. But let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, that victory may be fully restored. I like that, don't you? He goes further and says in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and shall be given him. Now, here's the question that we have to answer. Has John, uh, what's his name? James. Has James changed subjects? If he's changed subjects, if he's talking about something entirely different now, then we've got to treat it as if it's not to be connected with the, the, with the, uh, the counting it all joy when you fall into trouble. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience and understanding how patience works to bring you back into victory. But if he's changed subjects, where's the change? Where's the break? Why, why didn't he say now on another point, if you need wisdom, here's what you need to do. But instead, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, but let him ask in faith. So the same faith he was talking about in chapter in verses 2 and 3, he's still talking about when he's speaking further, isn't he? So what does that tell us the subject is? Faith. Faith. Now, again, as I said, this is not a primer course on faith. James does not start off and say, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. He doesn't define faith. He doesn't remind them of Mark 11.23 where Jesus gave us his definition of faith and, and exp- explanation of how faith operates. He assumes that they know things about this thing called faith, this subject called faith. And know enough, he assumes that they know enough and again, we, I have to assume that it's from his own teaching, the teaching that they got at the church of Jerusalem before they left town, to know how these things operate. So in the middle of the trouble that they find themselves in, that's got to be the context of the wisdom that he's talking about needing or lacking. He said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Wisdom concerning what? Concerning something separate from the trouble that they're in? Concerning some, some uh, different area? that he's just instructed them to count it all joy in the midst of? No, he's talking about wisdom to know what to do when you're in the middle of trouble. See, sometimes it takes the wisdom of God to know how to count it all joy. Sometimes it takes the wisdom of God to know what the end result is going to be, the outcome is going to be, so that you can let patience have a perfect work. So that's what he's talking about. He's talking about in the middle of your trouble, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do when you're in trouble, ask of God and God gives to all men liberally, not stingily, not part-time, not sometimes he will, sometimes he won't. James says, if you're in trouble and need to know what to do, ask God and God will tell you. He'll give you the wisdom you need. But here's the condition. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, the man that wavers, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, he goes from telling us the principle, or, um, well, I hate to use this term, but I'm, for, for, uh, to make a distinction, I'm going to say it, and hopefully you'll get what I'm trying to say. He tells us the formula for how to get wisdom from God, and it's the same as the principle whereby you receive anything from God. And that principle, that formula, whichever one you want to call it, specific or general, that principle is called faith. But it's not just any kind of faith. It's an unwavering faith. It's a single-minded faith. Now, I trust that you know Mark 11, 23, or 22 and 23. Jesus cursed the fig tree, and the next morning it dried up from the roots, and the disciples called it to his attention. Mark eleven twenty two. Jesus said, have faith in God. The impl- the, even though the question is not stated, it, there's an implied question there. Peter seems to be saying, how'd that happen? How'd that tree die so quick? Trees don't die that fast. How'd this happen? We heard you curse it yesterday, and now it's dried up from the roots. Looks like it's been dead for a long time. How'd that happen? And Jesus responds and says, have faith in God. Now, one translation says, have the God kind of faith. Other translations said, have the faith of God. But you could well understand that the faith that he's talking about, the faith that he's operating by, the faith that he's exercised to cause a change in the circumstance, meaning the fig tree dying. The fig tree was an obstacle yesterday morning when he went to it to get something to eat off of it, and it didn't have any food on it, didn't have any figs on it. It was an obstacle to what he desired yesterday morning. Now it's it's an obstacle removed because it's dead. Jesus identifies that the principle or the means or the manner in which that took place is this thing called faith. But Jesus as the son of God operating here on the earth as a man. What kind of faith would he have if not the God kind of faith? I don't know of any other kind of faith Jesus would have than the God kind of faith. Do you? And then he explains how it works. Mark eleven twenty three. For verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. First thing he says about faith is having to do with your words. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt, here's the qualifier, and shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart, shall not doubt in his heart. Folks, without proving it, we could take two weeks. And prove that doubting in your heart is the same thing he's talking about in James chapter 1 is wavering. He that wavers is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. It's the same thing as being a double-minded man. It means to say one thing at one time and say something else at a different time. It means to speak what you want, what you desire at one, on one occasion. And then when the, things, the circumstances don't line up with what you said before to say something to the opposite. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. Not according to his physical senses, not according to what he can see and feel, but believe in his heart. Where we contact the unseen realm. But believe in his heart that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, let me ask you a question. If you compare James chapter 1 with Mark eleven twenty three, where's patience? 
James talks a lot about patience. Why didn't Jesus tell us about patience? Jesus just gave us the principle. He said, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, Jesus did not say you'll have instantly whatsoever you say. Jesus didn't even say you'll have everything overnight, like I got the results with the fig tree. He didn't say any of that. He just said, if you say to the mountain or to your problem, be removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, shall not waver in his words. Shall not say something to the contrary. For how long? For how long? How long are we supposed to keep this up, Pastor Mike? And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. Well, if doubting in your heart means to say something contrary to what you first said, then believing in your heart is to hold fast to your confession, to keep saying the same thing, isn't it? Wouldn't that have to be the case? Sure. But shall believe in his heart. In other words, keep saying the same thing. What are we supposed to believe in our heart? We're supposed to believe that what we say will come to pass. That's why we keep saying the same thing. Because we believe what we say will come to pass. What will be the result if we do that and operate according to that principle? You will have whatsoever you say. After how long? After as long as it takes. See, Mark eleven twenty three doesn't promise instant results. It doesn't even promise immediate results. It's not promising anything that James 1 isn't saying. They're talking about the same subject, same operation of faith, same principles. James is just trying to encourage people. You're not going to get instant results, so don't let yourself, be, uh, don't let yourself waver. Hold fast this principle of faith so that you don't miss out on the blessing. They're both talking about the same thing. Now, folks, in a nutshell, and I'm going to make the same assumption James does. I'm going to assume you know some things about faith. If we were talking about faith from the ground up, then we'd be approaching this from a different direction. But that's not my... And and there's plenty of series and uh, books and different things in the bookstore that you can get that'll take it from the ground up if you don't know anything about it. So forgive me if I'm talking over somebody's head tonight, but I'm going to make an assumption that we know something about the subject of faith. None of us know it all. But we can know something about the principles. So I'm going to make some, one of the same assumptions James does. I'm going to assume you know a little bit about faith. I know a little bit about faith. I don't know nearly what I want to know about it. I don't know nearly what I'm going to know about it. But I know a little bit about it. And here's what I found in the subject of faith, concerning the subject of faith and concerning the operation of faith. There is one main issue, an area of difficulty that everybody has with this thing called faith. And that's the confession part. Did you notice Mark eleven twenty three? I know I didn't have you turn there. Are they putting it up on the screen? Can you? Notice something about Mark eleven twenty three. Notice how much more it talks about what you say than what you believe. Now Jesus certainly knows what the problem with mankind is going to be down the road. And Jesus knows these words are going to be preserved for eternity not just for the church age the, the word of God will last for all eternity and so God knowing where man's problem is going to be notice what he did he put the emphasis on what you say not on what you believe notice how many more times say 
is in this verse than believe. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. There's one say. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not die in his heart but shall believe. There's one say one believe. But shall believe. That those things which he saith. There's two say. Shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. So you got three times say is referred to in that verse. And one time believe is referred to in that verse. Where would that indicate to you that the importance or the emphasis should be? On what we say. Now don't get me wrong. Believing is important. But most people don't miss it on the believing part. Most people even if they don't act on the word. Believe that the word of God. That the, that the, the scripture is the word. The Bible is the word of God. It's always amazed me. How people would stand up and say, oh, the Bible's the word of God. And then they would live totally opposite to what it says. It's like, what? What is that about? I believe it's the word of God. I believe the Bible is the word of God. Now, I'm going to live the way I want to, but I believe the Bible is the word of God. That just doesn't make sense to me. But you know as well as I do that the church world is full of people like that. But most people don't miss it on the believing part. Most Christians that don't know beans about the Bible believe that God can do anything. Well, that's good, but that doesn't get them anything. Because it's not just what you believe, it's what you say. So, I know this from experience. I know this from personal experience. I know this from from church history. I know this from talking to others and, and their experiences as well. The number one place where people have trouble with this subject of faith, this this topic of faith is in your words, your confession. And if you look at it, there's some part of the church world that, uh, that fights against those of us that teach faith and receiving by faith, receiving healing by faith and, and uh, all the other things Jesus purchased for us on the cross by faith. James went so far as to say you can't receive anything without faith. Paul said the same thing. Paul said in Hebrews eleven six, without faith it's impossible to please God. How do you please God? By receiving what Jesus purchased for you. And you can only do that by faith. Wouldn't it be silly for Jesus to purchase something for us and let's not take advantage of it? God wants you to have it. That's why he sent Jesus to pay for it. God wants you to have healing. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross to pay for healing. But you receive healing along with everything else from God by faith. Well, where's the problem? The problem is in speaking the word of God into circumstances and situations that contradict what the word says. Romans chapter 4 tells us about God in his dealings with Abraham. It says of God that he, he, God, calleth things that be not as though they were. That's tough for us humans to do. At least initially, till we renew our minds to it. It's tough for us to speak what God's word says. It's tough for us to say, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. When we know that sickness is attacking our bodies. Because our natural mind is so accustomed to operating upon physical facts and physical facts alone. And so if we say in accordance with the, in obedience to the Bible, if we say what the word says, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and with his stripes I'm healed. But there's, there are symptoms of sickness and disease and or disease in our bodies. Then our mind will say, now you've gone to lying. And most of the time our minds are helped by the devil. 
The devil wants to make you think that confessing the word into the face of contradicting circumstances is lying. But how can it be a lie to do what God said to do? It says that God calls things that be not as though they are. Is God lying when he says it? Isn't it impossible for God to lie? Then how can it be a lie for us to do what God does? In fact, Romans chapter 4 even goes so far as to say that Abraham imitated God in the same thing. He began to call things that be not as though they were. Was he lying? No, it brought him the answer. He began to call himself the father of nations before he ever had a son. He began to call himself God's, the new name God gave for him. He cha- God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Abraham means the father of many nations. And that was the promise God had made to him. God said, showed him the stars of the sky and asked him if he could number them. He says, no, there's no way anybody could number those. He said, that's how your seed shall be. So shall your seed be. I'll give you children and descendants like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore that can't be numbered. So when God changed his name from Abram to Abraham, that new name Abraham means father of a multitude. So what did Abraham do? He started calling himself by the new name. Why? Because he felt like he was the father of a multitude? No, because God called him the father of a multitude. God named him the father of a multitude. So all Abraham does is obey what God gave to him and what God called him and began to call himself the same thing. I wonder if he had any trouble with the devil speaking to his mind saying, you're lying. Well, of course he did. The devil attacks everybody the same. The devil attacks everybody the same. Romans chapter 4 goes so far as to tell us how Abraham kept from wavering. Remember, the man that wavers isn't going to receive anything from God. How did Abraham keep from wavering? It said, looking under the promise of God, he wavered or staggered not through unbelief. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. Looking under the promise of God, he staggered not through unbelief. Here's the issue with, with faith. First, it's speaking in line with God's word and saying in the face of contradicting circumstances that you are what God's word says you are. This is healing school, so we'll put it in a healing context. It's saying that you are healed by the stripes of Jesus when sickness and disease is present and or attacking your flesh. And that's where most people miss it right there. Most people want the sickness or disease to leave their flesh and then they'll say they're healed. But that's not the God kind of faith. That's not the kind of faith that receives healing. Psalm 107 verse 20 says God sent his word and healed them. He sent his word and healed them. If you're going to receive your healing from God, you're going to receive it by and large by his word. That means you're going to have to confess his word before the healing comes. And if you refuse to confess his word, don't look for the healing to come. James said so. James said, don't let that man, the double-minded man, the man that's not willing to speak the word of God in the face of contradicting circumstances, in this case, sickness and disease, Don't let that man think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. God doesn't work on physical circumstances. He doesn't work by physical circumstances. He doesn't prove himself by physical circumstances. He proves himself by his word. What I mean by that is the word will change the circumstances, but the circumstances cannot change the word. 
Now, I made the statement that the reason that people have trouble is because the devil will speak to their minds and say, now you've gone to lying. Here you're saying you're healed when you can see that sickness and disease is in your body. You can see you're sick. You feel sick. You know that sickness is true. And here you are confessing that you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. The reason that we have trouble with that is because, as I said, the natural mind operates on one and only one thing, and that's physical realities, physical conditions, what we can see and feel. It operates on what it can see and what it can feel in this natural realm. Well, if this natural realm is all that there is, then the devil would be right. We would be lying to say that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus when there's sickness in our bodies. But the Bible tells us that there's an unseen realm that's more real than this natural realm. How do we know it's more real than the natural realm? Because the Bible tells us further that everything that we can see and feel in this natural realm was created from this unseen realm. Furthermore, the Bible says that this natural realm will will disappear, will burn up, will pass away. Everything that your natural mind says is and exists will disappear someday. It'll burn up. At that time, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth created from this unseen realm. And we'll live for eternity in that unseen realm. That unseen realm will take the place of this natural realm. So according to the natural mind, we are lying if we call ourselves healed by the stripes of Jesus. But we're not calling ourselves healed according to the natural realm. We're calling ourselves healed because the Word of God is the only source. It's the instruction book of that unseen realm. It tells us about what we can't see. It tells us about the reality, the more real unseen realm than than this natural realm that we can see and feel. And in that unseen realm... Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, paid the price for your sickness and disease. When he in this natural realm took upon himself the stripes on his back when he was beaten in Pilate's court, that shedding of blood paid the price for sickness and disease from the root source, the root cause in the spirit realm. That's why the Bible says we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It may not be true that we're blessed in every respect in this natural realm, But in the spirit realm that's more real than this natural realm, you're already blessed. You're already healed. So when we say, according to the word of God, I'm healed, that's where the devil's going to give us some trouble. That's where he's going to try to keep us from speaking what God's word says. Why? Because unwavering faith, the faith that receives from God, speaks God's word In the face of circumstances, contradicting circumstances, it speaks healing in the face of sickness and disease. And the devil knows that if we'll say the word of God, if we'll speak the word of God and hold fast the profession of our faith, not waver by changing our confession, he knows there's nothing he can do to enforce that sickness. He knows that the spirit realm, the power of the words of God that we speak, will come to pass and change everything about the circumstances of this physical realm. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Paul, who I believe was the writer of the book of Hebrews. I'm sorry, it's Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice in uh, verse 23. He said, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. Now, we already talked about what kept Abraham from wavering. Abraham 
didn't waver, looking under the promise of God, he staggered not or wavered not, did the same thing, through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. What caused him to be strong in faith? He kept looking at the promise of God. He kept looking at what God told him. What did God tell him? So shall your seed be. So shall your seed be. Your seed shall be, your descendants shall be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. He kept looking at the promise of God. Now, everything about his physical condition contradicted what God said. His body was not operating, neither was Sarah's body operating. He was 100, she was 90. Neither one of their bodies were operating sexually in, in order to reproduce or enabled to, they were not, no longer able to reproduce or have children. It was a physical impossibility for them to have children. Their bodies had stopped working in that manner. He had every reason to doubt God's promise, but he made a choice. He kept calling himself the father of a multitude because God had said, so shall your seed be, like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. What kept him saying or speaking, confessing God's promise? He would not look at anything else. Now, folks, that's a choice that we all have to make. You choose every day what you're going to look at. You choose every day what you're going to listen to. You choose every day what you're going to let be the influencing agent in your life. Abraham chose the word of God to be the only influencing agent upon him. Looking under the promise of God, he wavered not through unbelief. He kept from wavering by keeping his eyes on the word. Now here in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23, it tells us something else that we can look at to keep from wavering. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. That means keep speaking God's word no matter what the circumstances appear to be. Keep speaking healing in the face of sickness and disease. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? For he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. You ever known God not to come through? We've all known people that have given up on God. But have you ever known God not to come through for anybody in any circumstance? No, and you never will find anybody. You'll find some people, bless their hearts, they'll say, well, I believe God, I tried that faith stuff and it didn't work. You know what that means? It means they gave up. Well, how long are we supposed to believe God, Pastor Mike? How long are we supposed to confess the word till the circumstances change? That's what James is talking about. Let patience have a perfect or complete work. If you give up before the circumstance changes, you didn't let patience complete its work. Well, how long is it going to take? As long as it takes. Well, if I just knew how long it would be, I mean, I'd be willing to do it for a day or two. But if it gets into a couple of weeks, man, that's just too long. Well, okay, you do without the blessings of God then. There's no scripture anywhere that tells you how long it'll be and no longer. Wouldn't it be great if there was? Wouldn't it be great if Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe for 30 minutes. That whatsoever he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Man, everybody sign up for that. You know why they won't sign up for an unlimited, unspecified period of time? Because that gets tough. It gets tough and it gets discouraging. Fighting those thoughts every day. Fighting the, 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 uh, the physical reality. And the influence of those circumstances that contradict the truth of the word. It's tough. 
not too many people that are willing to stand up and, and, and go for that, which is exactly what the Bible says to do. Abraham wavered not by looking at the promise of God. Here it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for because he is faithful that promised. He is faithful that promised. Folks, you know what that means? That means it's impossible for God's word to not be true. Now, again, we're talking about healing, so let's put it in a healing context. It's impossible for God's word that says you were healed by the stripes of Jesus to fail to come to pass unless you give up. The reality is simply this, folks. Christians that don't get healed, Christians that don't receive their healing, don't partake of the healing that Jesus purchased for us on the cross, is not God's fault. It's theirs. Now, some people fail to receive through ignorance. I get that. They just don't know the principles of faith. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And that's the problem for the church. The church hasn't done the teaching on the subject that it should. But if you know what the Bible says to do and you don't hold fast, whether it takes longer than you want it to or not, then God's not the one that didn't heal you. It's you that gave up. That's one thing I've determined. I am never going to stand before the Lord and and him say to me, you gave up. Now, that's the only part of this that I can control, but I can control that. I refuse to give up. I don't care if I'm believing forever. If Jesus comes back and finds me believing for something that I've been believing for for 30 years, he's going to say, well, you held steady. I can't say I can be mad at me for that. Now, naturally, would I like it to go quicker than that? You bet. But I'm going to be holding steady, believing God for something when Jesus comes back. One thing's just as good as another. Because God's word is just as true in every area. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. Why? Because he is faithful that promised. That's what it says about Abraham back to Romans chapter 4. Abraham, it said, he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. That what God had promised he was able also to perform. That's the same thing that Paul's talking about here. He found, he determined, he decided that God was faithful that promised. He decided that God was faithful that promised. Now keep reading here. It says in verse 36, Paul's going to say the same thing James said. He said, for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, he's talking about holding fast your profession of faith. So to speak the word of God in the face of contradicting circumstances, to speak healing in the face of sickness and disease, is doing the will of God according to the word. It's doing the will of God. That's the context that he's saying these things. For you have need of patience that after having done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Notice that patience is the thing that keeps you speaking the truth no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter whether the circumstances look the same today as they looked yesterday, or if they look worse tomorrow than they look today, to speak the word of God and to speak the word of God only is doing the will of God. So many times people talk about doing good works. Well, we've got to do good works. We want to live right and we want to do good works. And most of the time the good works that people are talking about doing is not what the Bible tells us to do. You know the good work that the Bible gives us to do first and foremost? The commandment that John said Jesus gave us is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You cannot believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're confessing the word. Because Jesus and the word are one. So if he means something more than just believing on Jesus for salvation to come into the family of God, if he means that in a continual sense, and he does, then the only way you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to be confessing what the word says about you. Second part of the commandment is to love one another as he gave his commandment. That's the work that Jesus gave us to do. Now, the other things are good. Giving to the poor, that's a good thing to do. Helping people and, and, and good works in that manner and so forth, that's great. Wonderful. But that's not the commandment that he gave us. That should be a byproduct of who we are and as new creatures in Christ Jesus. But the commandment he gave us was to believe. Well, what do we do when we believe? We that believe speak. Paul said, we having the same spirit of faith, we believe and therefore speak. Same spirit of faith is who? Is Jesus. You can always tell what somebody believes by what they're saying. Faith takes the unseen realities, the unseen truths described in the word of God and speaks those truths in the face of contradicting circumstances and keeps speaking them until the circumstances change. And the Bible says over and over and over again that if we'll do our part to keep saying the word of God, we will have what we say. Our words, God's word in our mouth will come to pass. And the devil knows that if we take the, the, the step to be determined to not say anything to, other than what God's word says, he knows there's nothing he can do that can stop the promise from being received. He knows there is no way to stop your healing if you speak God's word and speak only God's word. Now, I can't promise you it'll be a week. I can't even promise you it'll be within a month. But I can promise you it will be. You let patience have a perfect work. In other words, you keep speaking the word of God in the face of sickness and disease. And you will be perfect and entire. Perfectly healed. Entirely healthy. And you've got God's word on that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to believe your word. We believe your word is true, Father. So we choose to speak your word and to speak only what your word says. Therefore, we say these things. I want you to say this after me. According to God's word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. And with his stripes, I am healed. I believe God's word. Therefore, I say with my mouth that I am healed from all sickness and all disease. No matter the condition of my body, no matter what the doctor has said, no matter what I feel, no matter what I see, I am healed according to God's word. In Jesus' name, my words are bringing my healing to pass and changing the condition of my body. I will never give up on speaking God's word. Therefore, my healing is guaranteed. According to God's word, my healing is guaranteed. Now lift your hands and thank God because that's true. Thank you, Father. 
that healing is a guarantee because your word is true. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We release our faith. This is a point of contact where we release our faith. Healing is ours now. Hallelujah. No matter how long it takes, Lord, we'll hold fast. No matter how long it takes, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, we will continue to speak the healing that your word proclaims. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.